0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name's Matt Breski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to what appears to be like, I don't know, our first legitimate week of winter here in Wisconsin that we might be headed into. Our days are shorter, but our panel is full and we have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director, is with us. Claire, how are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm doing good. Good to be here. Thanks, Matt.
0: Yes, yes. Well great to have you. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action is with us. Robert, how are you doing? Doing sure fine. And
2: I hope everyone's enjoying our transition into later fall as opposed to
0: earlier warmer fall. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, folks, winter is headed our way. Hopefully you can uh, lean into it. But we got a Uh, shall I say, a wintry kind of podcast here. It is, um, you know, uh, some tough topics that we have to discuss this week. Um, We are going to start the show. We're going to talk a little bit about what's been happening this week with COVID cases. They are on the rise. Um, We're going to continue to talk about the complete um, attack, the attack on our democracy that's occurring both nationally around voting rights and election and all of our democracy uh, structures, but specifically here in Wisconsin. Uh, Gableman testified this week. We'll talk more about that. We are going to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It is making global news. Um, and we, we are expecting, or it sounds like there could be a verdict as early as Monday or Tuesday of next week. We'll talk a little bit about that. Later in the show, we will be joined by Joel Blyfus. He is the publisher and editor of In These Times Magazine. Joel wrote, an excellent piece that really kind of picks up on the topic we were discussing last week about uh, what happened in the midterm elections, but more importantly, where do Democrats really need to go in order to start to win some elections? So let's start though. Claire, I'm going to come to you. Um, We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but we have got to talk about what's happening in COVID in the state. Uh, The numbers are dramatically on the rise this week. Uh, uh, 3,370 new cases Wednesday. And this is the second consecutive day of uh, over 3,000 cases. Um, And just for perspective folks, that is a case rate that's almost, it's essentially half of where we were at our peak a year ago, uh, which is shocking given uh, the level of vaccination rates. Uh, Claire, uh, kids are starting to get vaccinated, but this is incredibly troubling and does not seem to bode well uh, as we head into winter.
1: Yes, I continue to remain concerned about where the COVID rates are going, um, even as children become vaccinated, because of course it's going to take a while before um, five-year-old and up children are vaccinated in mass, especially, well, before they even have one shot in mass, let alone uh, when they're fully vaccinated. And of course, that doesn't account for the youngest children who who still remain unvaccinated. Um, In the state of Wisconsin, for example, um, we haven't had for a while any states that have low or medium level of activity of the virus. Um, The, the two uh, counties in the state, Madison and Menominee County that have exceptionally high vaccination rates are the only counties that have what the state is calling a high level of transmission everyone else is either very high or critically high. And uh, I'd like to say that critically high did not need to, was not in the past a category that the state needed to track, but everybody, um, all of the counties in the state had transmission rates that were so high and uh, that they, they needed to create a new, a new category and that's critically high. And right now there's um, a solid handful of states, mostly in the northern part of the state. Um, that uh, are in that that rate. So uh, I'd like to remind folks that, you know, even if you're vaccinated um, and you live in a place where almost everyone is vaccinated, like in Dane County, for example, um, that vaccinated people, albeit at much, much, much lower rates, um, still hold the possibility of getting or transmitting the virus. And so um, we need to continue to hold each other accountable for behaving uh, responsibly um, and and therefore hope to protect uh, the folks in our, our community who aren't vaccinated yet um, especially those who can't because they're because they're so young
2: Robert well this is very frustrating and really the division in our society and the heedlessness of corporate america and the, Amer- the modern American right are causing this because when you have this level of division among elites, then people don't act well. We obviously are a very herd-like species and follow our side. And the science is changing. So what we're learning is this. Well, first of all, we're learning that it goes up and surges and down. And we got to learn that every time it goes down, doesn't mean it's not about to skyrocket again in another, another couple weeks or a month or six weeks or whatever it is. Uh, We've always thought winter was worse because people are more indoors, and we know darn well that indoors is the place where transmission really occurs. Uh, We're learning that perhaps there's no herd immunity at 80 percent. It looks uh, Epidemiologists are being to say with this virus, it's going to keep traveling around until we get a lot closer to 100 percent, and that's politically impossible in this country. Uh, In fact, uh, Joe Biden is getting, it's harming his approval rings, the perception of all of his mandates, of which there are very few, he's actually not doing enough. I guess you'd make an argument he should do the ones that he hasn't done because he'll get blamed anyway, like there should be a vaccine mandate for traveling because we're going to have a huge surge around Thanksgiving and Christmas and news, news is reporting record uh, you know, travel uh, for Thanksgiving. And news has even stopped saying this is a risk of, of making another COVID spike. I mean, NPR just had a long story this uh, morning, this Thursday morning, and didn't mention any connection there. Just talked about whether there are enough pilots and enough planes. Um, and then we have people who actually think it's a good idea, unvaccinated, to go hang out with grandma and grandpa in a house, right? I mean, it's unbelievable, but tells you how... Uh, a lot of what is challenging about our species and its current level of moral and intellectual development, uh, if you think about it in a broad evolutionary standpoint. Uh, But then, frankly, we just need to keep winning elections because obviously this all gets worse if the ones who want to deny there's any problem, we've seen a, a, a lot of, we've seen the, the horrible effects of right-wing governors like the governor of Texas and governor of Florida uh, are gonna make it much, much worse and are trying to capitalize on a crisis they are causing. Uh, I guess the other thing we've learned is, is that it actually seeps into highly vaccinated areas. So they're not protected partly because there are some people there unvaccinated and partly because of mobility. People go to Madison. People go to Milwaukee and they keep it spreading from areas that have lower vaccination rates. And we're a highly mobile society where people move around a lot. So back so, down the hatch and smoke for yourself. But think about how you can persuade others in your network to vaccinate who have not and get them over the hump. It's very important.
0: That's that last point, Robert, I want to close with, because um I think we're in a really rough place. Uh, I was just hearing about Colorado high vaccination rates and they're having just huge problems. So the the issue with herd immunity is real. We are likely gonna be living with this folks. Uh, Claire's points are absolutely uh, important. Remember, continue to protect yourself, continue to protect others in our community. Uh, But uh, Robert's right. We need to continue to have the conversations uh, from you know, a place of humanity to folks who are not vaccinated and still open and try to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And, and
2: let me add just on Colorado, since I was there in early October, folks were kind of letting their foot off the gas. And a lot of you're walking around in places that with a vaccine mandate without masks indoors. So that is part of it. People are just relaxing because it's becoming the new normal, like, Living in London during the German bombing, eventually people went back to their lives to some degree, because that's what happens when something goes on and on and on like this has.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, With that, um, we have just a a minute or so here before the break, but uh, when we come back... We're going to talk more about what's been going on both nationally, but really specifically here in the state of Wisconsin around the continued attack on voting. And this week in particular, the news I want to get your both uh, Claire and Robert's thoughts on are uh, Senator Ron Johnson. We're going to talk more about him. He is up for reelection, as we know, next year. He actually called on the legislature this week to take over the uh, election commission and essentially uh, run federal elections and said that uh, Evers has absolutely no authority and they ought to just take it. Uh, There you go. Some of the raw power uh, in terms of the idea of Republicans running the elections is uh, frightening, but also this week there was a a hearing in uh, the legislature and uh, Gableman spoke. So we're going to talk more about that, uh, but we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. We're Citizen Action. We're going to dive into this conversation about what's been going on in the state. Claire, I know uh, you've been tracking this, but wanted to immediately get your thoughts on what Ron Johnson is calling for. Uh, Do you think this is actually something that we're uh, the that we're going to see where we're going to see this election commission created six years ago by Republicans because they didn't like the previous one? Uh, Is this thing going to be blown up and just Republicans are going to take control of our elections? Claire?
1: Now, I'll say this. I gave up a long time ago trying to anticipate what the floor is for how low the legislature um, and Republicans in Wisconsin will stoop to uh, grab power for themselves. So I don't know if they're going to do what Ron Johnson uh, wants them to do, but I will say... I think it is very likely that they're giving it serious consideration, especially considering that Ron Johnson is the leader of Republicans in Wisconsin, pretty much. Um, I also think it is not remotely suspicious that he is suddenly showing an interest in Wisconsin's GOP-led legislature, taking control of elections the year before he runs for re-election or not. I suppose he hasn't announced it, but this... Bit of news here would seem to me that he is uh, leading towards running for re-election, um, and maybe feels threatened by the slate of progressive candidates that we've had on this podcast. Um, otherwise, he probably wouldn't be trying to do this power grab here. Um, but basically, it sounds like he's telling the legislature, "Look, we don't need a government accountability board. We don't need a Wisconsin Election Commission. We just need you guys to run to run elections in the state." And that obviously um, sounds just so far from good from good practice and good policies. I don't I don't even know how they would administer such a thing. Uh, maybe it would look like at the you know legislative reference bureau or the legislative accountability board, where it would just be sort of a staff of people that would um, report to the legislature. It's, it's hard to even imagine what he's envisioning. But but clearly it's it's rooted in um, not wanting to have any sort of independent authority running elections um, because clearly they're they're doing too good of a job Um, (laughs) keeping democracy solid.
0: (laughs) It sounds it sounds to me like they're carrying out pieces of what Trump was asking to have happen last year. The idea that we don't need these authorities and that. You know, the legislatures, Republicans are in control. They get to the side. Robert? I'll say a little bit about the facts, but we on the left need
2: to get over the facts mattering here, because their strategy is working for them. Most Republicans think that the 2020 election was unfair and likely was stolen, and it's certainly not turning off independent swing voters to us. See Virginia, to them, see Virginia. So it's just not landing on the general public, right, as the the outrageous threat to good government and democracy that it is. And so uh, I will just say factually, though, look, they got rid of the government accountability board. That is, Walker and the gerrymandered Republican legislature. They created this system, okay? They created uh, the Wisconsin Elections Commission. They made it a three-three split so that it would, like federal agencies, like the Federal Election Commission, be dysfunctional. It unanimously did what was done in order to make sure nursing home workers could vote. It doesn't matter. Uh, they also uh, had a witch hunt against Governor Kelly Bill before, and we were unable to stop them, and they, they will essentially tar and feather anything that gets in the way of their agenda, which is increasingly becoming, we control the election apparatus and we decide who wins and loses as we allegedly participate in fair elections, look, that's what autocrats do. They, a number of them put themselves up for election, but they control the election apparatus. And if they don't like the result, you get the result they want, right? We can we talk of country after country like that. And so ultimately, we just need to defeat them. I mean, look, look at the justice they put on the state Supreme Court who won on Willie Horton-style ads that were a lie against the first African-American Supreme Court Justice Lewis Butler. Uh, that would be Mr. Gableman. He was on the state Supreme Court's an embarrassment. Look what kind of man he is. Look at the people around him. The, the the rogues in Trump world, the fake lawyers. It's unbelievable. Who are and so this is what we taught we chanted Mac 10 and Madison and the protest. This is what democracy works like. Well uh, looks like. Well, this is what fascism looks like. Okay, folks. But you don't defeat fascism, unfortunately with careful reasoning and facts, like Megan Wolf, the executive director of the WEC, offered in testimony, which is all she can do. She's a career administrator. She shouldn't be in a different lane. We should. This just indicates we need to win this election, period, or they will rig the 2024 election and make Wisconsin and a few other battleground states states that the Republican nominee Trump or a Trump-like figure, you know, think of Ron DeSantis from Florida or Kristi Noem from South Dakota, uh, that they will win no matter what. So this is very scary, but it, we can only beat them by defeating them. Unfortunately, I don't see another way. It's not no longer about the liberation and careful exchange of ideas, because as Claire pointed out, they'll, they'll change their idea if this idea doesn't work. Look at what they're doing to the Wisconsin Election Commission.
0: Yeah, no, look, I think it's very clear. Uh... This is not heading in a good direction. We we were talking a lot about what was happening in other parts of the country, Georgia, Texas, around um, things that were being passed, and a lot of folks were saying, "Well, you know, we've got Governor Doyle; he can veto everything." This this strikes me as potentially dangerous. If if there's actual legal theory to this, where they uh, real, where they they can do this, I think they will, and I, it's very clear that the election commission is tenuous at best. I mean, they are they have not at all slowed down they're i mean they're calling for the resignations and 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 so this i think we're going to be unfortunately talking a lot more about this uh, robert i loved your this <laughs> this is uh this is what fascism looks like <laughs> robert Look,
2: think about what ron johnson said he said the this is in the legal memos that justified trump Trump supporters in the battleground states calling the election for Trump in 2020, the infamous memo that was actually written and Trump was going to execute, it is that the Constitution does say that selection of electors are in the hands of the state assembly. But our current structure in Wisconsin was developed by statute, which includes a governor. And what they, they plan to do is to do this without the governor, OK, whether they win the governor's race or not and think how insidious this is, that their interpretation of the Constitution, and they'll make another one if this doesn't work, but it may work with uh, certain members of the U.S. Supreme Court, let alone our state Supreme Court, and it would allow them to change the rules whenever it suited a state legislature. Then you have gerrymandering and the other structural advantages about how blue people who vote Democrat tend to pack together and uh, people who are, are, are red voters tend to spread out in our current lingo. Uh, you have a natural advantage in state legislatures, plus the gerrymandering. So then you would guarantee, like in Wisconsin, it doesn't matter if then they're having these fights in North Carolina other places, whether the Democrats won the popular vote. The Republicans control the Assembly and the Senate, and therefore they control the election apparatus, and then therefore they name the president. That, of course is not any democracy anyone would call a democracy, though they probably will. They'll still call themselves a republic if they, if they succeed here.
0: Folks, we're going to continue to track this issue. Uh, we're going to keep a, a focus on it, sunshine. It's really important. And we know your leaders and your communities will continue uh, to, to talk about this. But we, um, we're going to change topics. We want to talk about the trial, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that has been going on in Kenosha. Um, Claire, I'm going to go to you first for just your thoughts. Uh, but I'm just going to pitch it to you by first saying, um, I am not optimistic. Uh, I've, I, I really, I've not been watching the trial, uh, like, um, following it all the way through, but I've been paying attention certainly through news and, um, it just doesn't look good. This judge has, uh, said a number of things, done some things in terms of what, evidence can be in or not. That makes me very nervous. Um, Claire, I don't, you know, we're we're expecting that this trial may have a verdict uh, next Tuesday. I want to get your thoughts. It's been, it's a, not only is this a national, it's a global issue. It's going to, it's going to have repercussions. Your thoughts on this trial so far.
1: Uh, I'd first like to say, I, I agree with you that this has made international News. This case has, and that, therefore, it's very likely to have international, certainly national, but maybe even international consequences. Um, I I am also not optimistic about the the verdict. Um, I I think that has, in my mind, a lot to do not just with the judge, but just with the um, sort of historical context for um, these these types of cases not turning out in ways that we would consider justice. Um, I think that um, a lot of focus has been placed on, um, and I understand that this is the nature of the trial, um, Kyle Rittenhouse's state of mind and whether he thought he was in danger or whether it was self-defense, um, that I think it's gonna be important As we await for the verdict to focus on the victims and their family and lifting up their experiences and supporting the community Um, because that's i think what's going to help get us through this verdict no matter which way it goes and we can talk more after the break
0: with that folks you're listening to the battleground wisconsin where citizen action welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we're talking about the trial of kyle rittenhouse we are expecting that there could be a verdict early next week claire gave her initial comments robert want to give you an opportunity and uh, we can go back and forth on this but uh, robert your your thoughts on the trial so far
2: i think we got to put it in perspective and by the way a lot of criticism of the prosecutors you know it's not like law and order where they're all brilliant prosecutors and they're Reading some, they sound like they're, you know, from a play, right? Because uh, very good writers are writing their summations and their openings. And they're delivered by really good actors and actresses. It's just not that, right? So they're not, they're imperfect. They're going to make mistakes, but they're in a tough spot here. Uh, we, we have a rotten judiciary because we have a right wing that puts people on who shouldn't be judges, right? So this guy obviously doesn't have the temper to be a judge and that's a joker. And the problem with this is it takes away credibility from the verdict, right? It's conceivable, I'm not seeing it, that he should be acquitted. But how can any of us have faith in that, right? Given the way this judge is operating, okay? And given the nature of the jury, which is almost all white, right? It, and it's it just, you know, not credible on our side, but their side will claim credibility, that is the right, because they they love to stand and wrap themselves in legal process when it goes their way. And then if it doesn't, then it's an outrage, and it's liberal judges, and it's everything else, and it's woke, or whatever it is, that is oppressing them, uh, because they feel very oppressed, you all know. Um, So here's the problem. Also, structurally, it is hard to get a conviction for murder. And that is built into our legal system because you have to prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt. So this is a terrible way to get social and racial justice, right? In other words, it's entirely possible that he did a heinous thing, but given the the murkiness of the evidence, uh, that he should be acquitted. But since we put everything in these trials, it makes them do something for our society that they are not equipped to do. It's actually not supposed to be about solving our social problems and reforming our society. It's supposed to be deciding the guilt or innocence according to the law for one person, right, in an instance. Another thing is we've created this murkiness because of right-wing policy and the NRA. I mean, we have a system where you can have open carry and you can just waltz around as a self-declared militia in the middle of a chaotic situation and then And then your, your defense is I felt threatened. Well, yeah, you went into people's space when they were very upset about something terrible that happened in their opinion and, uh, and brandish your gun and marched around and gone to conflict. And then you felt threatened. Well, you know, if some bears fans decide to go to uh, Lambeau field with open carry guns, which actually wouldn't be allowed in Lambeau field, but who knows, maybe that's coming and just kept, you know, going in the midst of Packer fans with their guns and getting into conflict, then they might feel threatened at some point. Would they then justify in, in slaughtering some Packer fans? That is what this is like. And so the whole thing is so farcical and so tragic uh, that, and it, we know what's going to happen when, when there's an explosion on our side, people who want real racial justice in the society, the other side actually uses that to build their base. See, see how scary they are. And there was a memo out that was leaked from the Claremont Institute, one of the major right wing, far right wing think tanks that's pushing the legal strategy, that they plan to win the 2024 elections. They claim that there'll be Black Lives Matter rioting when Biden Biden loses. And then they're going to use county sheriffs, think about Kenosha County Sheriff here and the militias, and uh, armed militias to come in and win the battle on the streets and, and seize power at the national level. That's what the memo says, folks.
0: Look, I uh, you know, I, I think the biggest problem is when the public perceives there's a finger on justice, that it's not fair. Um, you see this, Robert, you mentioned that the, the prosecutor, you know, if this isn't TV, this is reality. Well, you know, the reality that a prosecutor might be inexperienced or not top level and can be completely outgunned by, uh, and we know this wealth or money or privilege always uh, has benefited uh, certain, certain folks. I, the thing that I find most frustrating is you mentioned it, this idea about you, you bring a gun into the situation. nobody else you know it, 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 nobody else shot at them, there was no threat. And, you know sometimes and sometimes, right, like the proper response is, yeah, you might have been in a situation where you're gonna get beat up a little bit right? But that doesn't give you an excuse to kill people, right? And it just seems like somehow because you you have a gun that somehow anyone who approaches you needs to play at that field and your sense of feeling threatened means you get to fire a gun just seems, seems wrong on its face. And I think most people get that. And that's why I think we're, we're going to have a lot of outrage um, over this. But um, I want to wrap this up on this other than just to say, like, I think the most the the scariest thing is if this trial was is essentially a mistrial with prejudice that there won't be a retrial and that would be um it would be devastating and terrible but folks again um we're going to be involved in any any response Uh, certainly claire centered this very early on no matter what happens we want to be there to support the community support the victims and make sure that um that's where where we are so With that, we are going to change topics. In fact, we're really fortunate. We have a special guest. We are really happy to welcome Joel Blyfus. And Joel is the publisher and editor of In These Times Magazine. Joel, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. So we have Joel with us because we wanted to continue our conversation we had last week where we debriefed uh, the midterm elections, but mostly looked forward as to really what is the, what is the plan? Like, what is the successful way to succeed? And um, Joel wrote this amazing article uh, that really was precise and to the point uh, about sort of what we were talking about, this idea that these corporate Democrats that don't really lean into sort of bread and butter issues um, are not the future. And it's actually probably a pathway to sure ruin. And we really need to lean into these progressive values. Uh, Joel, Uh, Tell us more about what your analysis is and a little bit about what you wrote uh, in this uh, great article. Well, I came across
3: this pretty fascinating study called Factory Towns by a democratic strategist in Iowa. And he examined sort of the industrial heartland of the country, nine states plus upstate New York. And he looked at uh, the voting patterns in those nine states divided by county, uh, And then he looked at the economic history of those counties and he discovered that uh, perhaps to no surprise that in those counties that suffered a huge manufacturing job loss, uh, the Republicans uh, beginning in 2016 with Trump, uh, saw a huge increase of votes with former Obama voters switching to Trump between 2008 and 2012 and 2016 when he was uh, elected. And and I I think that this sort of the Obama Trump voter is a crucial part of the electorate that's been, uh, I I think sort of treated poorly and not given uh, the attention it deserves by uh, the democratic political establishment, which has been sort of catering to uh, a a future that uh, is sort of high-tech trade, free trade, uh, sort of pandering to a a certain class of people that are not uh, the people along the Wisconsin River, who are the paper mills, have uh, disappeared and they're out of work and they're wondering why has society let them down.
2: So you mentioned that there was a conscious decision by New Democrats, they call themselves, or Blue Dog Democrats or neoliberals. There are a lot of different titles, right? Mm-hmm. Coming out of the 70s and 80s um, and really with the bill clinton administration and had much influence in the obama administration as well he was trying to push through tpp the trans-pacific partnership treaty at the very end people don't realize that he's now acting more like progressive hero i wish he acted more like that as president (laughs) Um, but i just say they made this decision and when clinton ran in 1992 he promised that all the transition caused by these uh corporate trade treaties they're not they're called free trade, but they're rigged trade on behalf of pharmaceutical companies and many others. And, and it's their quest for cheap labor, which of course undermines all of these American workers in these factory towns, right? That was promised. And that's why Robert Reich was here, that we would do a transition where we would make them whole and get them better jobs and better career paths. And that part was, wasn't done because austerity took over, right? And, and what they call neoliberal economics that we, Followed what Lloyd Benson, the Treasury Secretary, and uh, what the Fed wanted to do, right? And so, and and not and didn't do what was promised, and that's why uh, Robert Reich left the administration after the first uh, four years. Uh, he was the prog- supposed to be the progressive voice. He was the more progressive voice there than Obama had in his administration. Uh, to Clinton's credit, but then that he wasn't listened to, even though they were close friends from uh, Oxford days, is not to his credit, but. It had the obvious result. It was undercutting labor as well, right, Joel? In other words, labor was the core democratic ally, but that we allowed the labor movement to be savage and undermined by this and by other things, by a lot of distortion of federal labor law that made a, a, a protection racket for non-union employers more than something that guaranteed the right of workers to form unions when they wanted to union. And the Democrats and I know never that... followed up, right? But... And, Exactly. And so I know we're, we're getting to break, so we're going to take a little break, but I just say uh, to form the question for after the break, and really that is, now this has all been done, and these folks are all, ha- ha- are, and unions were our connection to working people, okay? They're, they're grassroots organizations by definition, and that's, not been replaced. And it's very hard to replace, especially like I do nonprofit organizing. We do it. It's hard to replace all of that. Right. And it was predicted by a lot of folks that that would happen if we allowed the labor movement to be destroyed. And the, the, the leaders of the Democratic Party, there were some critics, but they didn't have power. Right. They were junior partners, you said, progressives. But the people in charge of the party let it happen. Republicans wanted to happen, but they were acting their own self-interest. Democrats acted against their own interests, and followed, as you put it, the donor class. So my question is, where do we go from here now that they've decimated the Democratic coalition? How do we rebuild it? And we'll hear from
0: Joel right after this break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Joel, Robert asked a question to you. You get your floor to answer. Well, I I think that
3: it would be maybe good to start with a measure of respect on the part of the democratic establishment for working people in this country who have, in a sense, been led, sort of fed a bunch of uh, excuses and reasons why they're not able to get job training, that all these promises sort of came to nothing. And I, I think that that starts by addressing people and being present in these counties that have switched gone red. And uh, by being present, that's not just in a political sense, but in a sort of community sense. And I think that we need to be sort of supporting a so the progressive infrastructure, the progressive movement that is just as active in rural areas as it is in urban areas, but that's just not visible because nobody's reporting on the struggles against extractive industries and uh, labor exploitation.
0: Claire?
1: This is super interesting, and now that we're sort of grounded in what needs to happen, maybe we can talk a little bit about how we can make it happen. So in your research into these studies and writing on this topic, have you come across any advice or best practices for how Democrats could better connect with this population of folks?
3: Well, I I don't think it's, it's rocket science. I think it's basically speaking to people's needs and where they are at the moment. And not, uh, and doing so with a certain amount of openness and not demonizing people for how they voted at one point in one election. I think there's a certain intolerance, at least on the part of parts of the left, that that should be checked. Maybe more specifically, I think that the uh, political organizations, the political parties, should put a real effort into having a presence in these red towns and these red counties. Uh, it, it, you need to start somewhere and you can't abandon a whole swath of the country uh, to uh, sort of right wing forces because you're not willing to engage. And so I think the, a big part of that is, and this is what I think Citizen Action Wisconsin is doing, is getting in touch with people and uh, sort of raising a, a battle
2: cry. completely right that... Um... We need to replace what was lost, which is real connections to working folks, respect for them, and real relationship. Right? You have to be in those communities and bridging the gaps. Right? And understanding how you can build support for things that we know are in their economic interest, but they're currently, for la- because of the vacuum, being attracted to the cultural politics of the right because they're angry and understandably so. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, there is a in- interesting analysis getting a lot of attention among people's action leaders nationally, affiliate directors like me the, and, the, and the national staff that was done by the Center on uh, Working Class Politics at Princeton with UGov, the P- Opinion Poll, and with Jacobin Magazine, an ally of Indies Times Magazine. And it, it studied what is the best candidate, profiles of candidates with working class voters, right? And what it found is, interestingly, it had you know, bad news for Republicans in that that isn't the, the there's this kind of culture war right wing uh, politician is not the best if tested against other alternatives. But it adds some bad news for progressives in that leading on racial justice and immigration reform actually doesn't work very well either comparatively, because it makes these folks feel like they're not included. Right. And this is not Uh, Before, I know some members of our circle might be triggered by that. Uh, You know, anti-racist writers like uh, Ibram X. Kendi, like Heather McGee, uh, great strategists like uh, Ian Haney Lopez all say we need to stop making white folks feel like we're taking something away from them because we don't need to take anything away from working class white folks to create racial justice. It can all come from the top 0.1 percent that have taken all the resources, and so we're hurting ourselves if we create that impression. So I'd say it's an analogy, it's inclusion, right? In other words, we're not trying to, if, it's a, if the metaphor is a Thanksgiving table, we're not trying to kick Uncle Joe out of the, uh, out of the uh, off the Thanksgiving table because he's a loudmouth white guy. We're trying to include a whole lot of people who weren't invited before, right? But what they found in this study, and I want your comments on this Joel, the most effective profile is someone who leads on bread and butter issues that, that, that raise all votes. But then they can talk about the racial justice and immigrant rights justice parts of that as long as the white folks feel included. So the Bernie Sanders profile is the most popular profile, and that is contra the whole Democratic Party establishment view that we have to re- run these Republican lights in purple districts to win.
3: I think a classic case of that was Virginia where Terry McAuliffe was the quintessential uh, corporate Democrat with no sort of common touch or backing or understanding apparently is set up to be the candidate for governor of Virginia as if his credentials are somehow the reason that anybody would vote for him. And you know, it's just one time after another where we're sort of put on these sort of failed candidates are hoisted on us. And uh, I I think that within the Democratic Party, we have to start thinking very hard about that.
0: You know, we think the U.S. Senate race here in Wisconsin is very critical in this broader context. Um, One of the critiques is that um, essentially uh, progressives or the left, uh, folks like us who think about structural change have taken moderate Democrats and Democratic seats and put progressives in, but we haven't really won in challenging seats or statewide. And so I, I don't think that's fully true, uh, but it's, it's that's the argument. And so like Wisconsin's Senate race is critical because we could be one of the places where we could get a vote that could deal with the filibuster, um, but there will be a debate. What kind of Democrat? Is it a progressive who leans into all the things Robert talked about, uh, who runs or, and potentially wins, or do we put up you know, a more moderate or corporate or business type uh, Democrat. And we certainly have uh, that debate going on in our U.S. Senate race. And we see that as uh, really critical and think it's important to win uh, with uh, progressive values uh, to help further this national debate and and to win the election. But your thoughts on that, Joel, um, just in terms of um, states like Wisconsin or other places. I know Pennsylvania and other really important places in twenty twenty two.
3: I think it's just vital that you speak to people's, you know, interest and address their needs, and that's regardless of where they live. But people, many people in this country, uh, especially in rural areas and in the sort of post-industrial towns and cities, are suffering, and their families are leaving. They can't find work. Their communities are disintegrating, and that's creating a whole lot of social anxiety and discontent. And we have to understand that and speak to with programs and with words and with thoughts that address those feelings of social anxiety that so many people feel about the future and the future of their families. And we have to offer something and have to be there and not let the right sort of occupy the news deserts of rural America.
0: Joel, what, one thing before uh, we go I want to that I also think is super important, um, you mentioned before, is being being in these areas, being in these rural areas, and not only for organizations like us, and we are actively trying to build membership and organization uh, in these areas, but also for the media and for journalism. And I'd love for you to talk more about, we think in these times is uh, just doing absolutely critical work right now and trying to focus on rural areas. And, you know, we're thrilled with the Wisconsin Idea Project and how not only the stuff get published in your amazing magazine, but it's getting into the mainstream media, it's getting into all different sources, uh, and it's uh, extraordinarily effective. Please let our listeners know more about, um, you just doing amazing work. For
3: people active in their communities around the country, um, especially in rural areas and small towns, there are many progressive people who are doing things and fighting the good fight, and their struggles and their sort of issues are overlooked by the mainstream media and therefore it's hard for them to gain traction both at the state level and at the county level and it's very important that their work their efforts be sort of part of the political landscape and it's only part of the political landscape if people see it and hear about it and so that's i mean sort of the philosophy behind the wisconsin idea is that we have to give voice and give uh let people know what what's going on in the rural and small town areas of this uh, state, Wisconsin in particular, and, you know, other states perhaps in the future. It's, you know, we have to be working and thinking at the county and state level.
2: And let me just remind our listeners, because we, we've had it on Battleground Wisconsin, but this is a rural reporting project in Wisconsin led by New Times Magazine and other allies like Real TV, for example, that um, that really does in-depth local reporting and it's done a lot of great reporting and it's being picked up and appearing a lot of rural papers and increasingly in some, some, some larger papers as well. So it's, and that, then you talked about the news desert, Joel. So you're trying to prove case with this, that we could do this all over the country. And actually we need to start giving, uh, deeper ideas and, and progressive ideas to rural folks through their voices and through reporters who understand their communities and, and are from there because
3: these are folks who are active in their communities. They know everybody. They know Trump voters. They're not coming in from the outside, but they have cred and that we have to sort of support them in their arguments that they're making among their friends and neighbors.
0: Okay, and folks, listen, great journalism like this just doesn't happen. Uh, We have to support in these times. Please subscribe, donate, uh, go online, Uh, It's a very, very important, uh, important work. Uh, But with that, we have got to wrap up this podcast. Joel, we want to thank you so much for joining us and talking to us. Oh, great to be here. With that, folks, we're going to wrap up this podcast. We want to thank our producer, Brian Woodridge, who makes it happen every week. And we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.